0: Wire your world for greater productivity and well-being with use of technology. Amy Blankson joins us on this week's episode of Live Happy Now. The ancient Greeks defined happiness as the joy you feel moving towards your potential.
1: To think about positive psychology, it's a science, and it's actually younger than the internet, believe it or not the reality is that social connection is in the research the greatest predictor we have of long-term happiness
0: you have some factors in your control that can promote the health and resilience and growth of your absolutely most important asset which is your brain
1: and so it all comes down to understanding ourselves there's a way for all of us to succeed but but it might take different things we're all looking for the same thing and that's a way to bring a little bit more joy to our day Join us as we look at the many different paths that lead us to that happy place. This is Live Happy Now.
0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host Jr. Houston thanking you for joining us wherever you are in the world and however you may be listening. We're also thanking you for picking up copies of Live Happy Magazine, whether you pick it up in the physical form at your local newsstand or you get it in the digital form on your local phone or tablet. You can get it on the Apple Store or the Google Play Store and it is filled with all kinds of special features. We thank you for picking that up. Well, our guest this week is Amy Blankson, uh, becoming one of the world's leading experts on the connection between positive psychology and technology. She writes occasionally here for Live Happy Magazine, and she was one of a thousand points of light by both George H.W. Bush and by President Bill Clinton. Her new book, The Future of Happiness, is about to come out, and we talked with her about that and looking at technology's role in our happiness. Well, Amy, uh, thanks again for joining us. I told you we'd have you back on to talk about uh, this fantastic book, so thanks for uh, making time for us. We appreciate it.
1: My pleasure.
0: Well, the book, as I mentioned, is The Future of Happiness. And I think when a lot of people think future, they're picturing, you know, the future of of uh, the world, all the devices and all the technology we're going to have. And that's kind of what this book is, is all about. But why do you think technology is so influential on our happiness levels these days?
1: I think technology has flooded into our world in ways we never expected. If you think about the iPhone. This is actually the tenth anniversary of the iPhone, and in the last ten years, our lives have changed so much. Hmm. I think back to ten years ago when I was still using a flip phone and nobody knew where I was or what I was doing, and and now everybody, including my mother, knows how exactly how to reach me <laughs> by texting <laughs> me and pinging me, and they can find me. Um, and so I think that that accessibility really impacts a number of us who. Uh, value our quality time who value the ways that we can control our time and so I think the two are very strongly connected between happiness and time how we use it and who's who's engaging with us
0: well it certainly helps us uh, keep track of things a little bit better right I mean I've got my calendar on here that way I knew that today I had to be in the studio at six to interview Amy I know I have to be you know I have a meeting with my boss at four in all these different things Because uh, this is directly from the back of your book. Our brains receive 11 million bits of information every second. We can only process about 40. Uh, So is that one way that technology is really helping us uh, be happier by making sure that we're keeping our ducks in a row? I think it can, for sure.
1: I think in the book that technology is neither good nor bad but thinking makes it so. That's actually a direct quote from William Shakespeare, Uh who, of course, existed long before the iPhone did. Um, But I think that (laughs) it really does capture for me the idea that we can use technology for good. There's so many great applications, and we can use technology for bad. Uh, Someone I spoke with said that the same technology that dropped the atomic bomb in World War II is the same technology that flies you to your parents' 50th wedding anniversary. It's, It's this crazy dichotomy of both good and bad and it's the way that we use the technology that really makes such a difference in our lives and so my goal of the book is to help think through now that we have this technology now that it is surrounding us and flooding our lives now it's time to get serious about how do we uh, control it in a way that's actually useful. How do we make sure that we set ourselves up for, fu- for success in the future instead of just um, continuing on with a sort of reactive approach? I really want to be proactive in the way that we respond to technology so that we can use it for the best in our lives.
0: Absolutely. Not and see now though all I can think about is how different Macbeth would have been if they would have had iPhones. It would have been a completely different situation. Uh
1: and Romeo and Juliet? Yeah, oh yeah. They wouldn't have, they would have been
0: able. No, no, no. I'm fine. You don't have to drink the
1: Yeah, don't do it.
0: I hope that's I hope nobody's listening like, "Thanks, guys. Spoiler alert." That's the plays have been around for a couple hundred years. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> what are what are some of the questions, though, that, that that we're asking ourselves and that people in your space are asking as we sort of approach the digital age? You know, we're, we're already in it, but things are only going to get uh, more crazy, more uh, connected, I think. What, what are some of the questions that we need to be asking?
1: You know, it's interesting because I speak to corporate audiences on a regular basis. I have been for. For years now and when we started good think about 10 years ago the questions that we were receiving from audience members were very much related to the uncertainty of the future it was about economic uncertainty job security and as the economy started to shift the questions started to shift and in the last two years what i've really noticed is that the questions have turned strongly to the latest trends and challenges that we face and that is technology People approach um, happiness thinking about other people a lot of times. And so the questions I'm getting are are very much like, how can I help my children balance their technology better? Or how can I help my husband to tune into other people better? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And when people are thinking about these issues, they often think about them in terms of challenges that they see other people having. But I think the underlying question and where we usually turn to with the conversation is, how does this impact my life? I see it in other people's lives. I know it's an issue. And gosh, maybe this is really impacting me as well. What can I do? And so one of those one of those statistics that really gets me every time is um, I've read that the average uh, smartphone user opens and closes their phone 150 times a day. Now, if you Jeez. think about that, if it takes just one minute. Uh, on a conservative estimate, to open and close your phone and check whatever message came through, that's actually two and a half hours out of every single day of your life, just opening and closing your phone. Mm -hmm. And if you multiply that by 365 days, you're spending roughly 912 and a half hours for 38 days of your entire year, opening and closing your phone. I mean, this is a huge issue. This is a major part of our lives that we have to think through. And so what I want to do is just raise people's consciousness about their own behavior. How am I using my technology? Is it doing what I want it to be doing? Is it moving me towards my goals and my intentions? Or is it perhaps distracting me more than I actually ever anticipated or even realized it was doing so? And so the book gives some great strategies for how people can really stop, pause, think about their own use, and then to start start to set some boundaries for themselves to make some better choices.
0: Well, let's let's dive in just a little bit without giving too much of the book away into some of these strategies, because I think it's an issue for a lot of us. We've we've got our phones, we've got our our tablets and our and our laptops and everything because we want to stay productive. We want to show uh, the people in charge that, you know, we're getting the job done. We're using these things to boost our productivity. How do we what are some strategies for sort of balancing that productivity with what we should all be concerned about, which is our own well-being?
1: Absolutely. So I'm laughing to myself here because one of my favorite chapters in the book, I call phony productivity, phony as in P-H-O-N-E-Y, which is cheesy, I know, but I think that (laughs) it is. (laughs) I'm a cheesy person. Oh, it's Um, it's fine. I think that um, it is exactly captures what I think we are doing as a society with our phones. Uh, Originally, we had Blackberries and then smartphones to make us more productive so that we could answer emails more efficiently. We could make sure we got all the messages. We could automate our bills. And what's happening now is that we are inundated with people who expect us to be responsive. So back in the 1950s, um, it's interesting, NASA had actually done research into looking for the perfect distraction because they were trying to reach astronauts out on space stations, and they needed to get important messages to them that could be life or death issues. And so what they would do is uh, originally they were just sending messages to the astronauts. They realized that was really um A big interruption for them when they're in the middle of an experiment. And so they tried to find ways to interrupt in a way that was non-invasive but still got the point across when they needed to make something urgent. And so they started to use images and they'd have a a square around an image that was different colors depending on the priority of the message. And Hmm. so they became really good at communicating to astronauts, hey, pay attention, this one's important, I need to get in touch with you. The problem is that everybody has discovered the perfect interruption now and everybody from smartphone users to bosses to PTA president has, has mastered this art and they're all coming at you. Right. And Mm -hmm. so no wonder we feel anxious and um, stressed about trying to respond to everyone because we're literally not built or equipped to handle this. And so what I think is one of the best strategies for dealing with all of these interruptions is regaining control. It's, Thinking about um, which notifications do I want to receive right now, which ones are most important, and I set the I set the the framework for what's going to come in, what I'm going to listen to, who I'm going to prioritize as my quote unquote favorites or the most important messages to let in. Um, one of the really interesting apps I discovered is called Off Time, and it enables you to. Um, it's actually for Android, but it enables you to. Um, set a certain number of people who are your high priority contacts. So anytime they try mm-hmm. to message you or contact you, those messages can come in. But when you set a certain setting in the app, it actually blocks out all the other messages, allowing you to have creative or thinking or productive time uninterrupted by the non-essential messages. And when you finish your creative time, then you can catch up on everything. But it just maximizes the ability for us to find control when our willpower is not always as strong as we think it is. Um, another one of the strategies that I really like is um, there was a research done. It's called the mere presence study. And it says that the mere presence of a cell phone in your vicinity actually makes you less productive. So hmm. if you're sitting at your desk and you have your cell phone on the table, it could even be face down. You're not even touching it or looking at it. It makes you less productive which is crazy, right? But just it's that anticipation of, oh, somebody might be about to call me or, oh, I just need to stay responsive. And so what the research suggests is that if you move your cell phone out of sight, whether in a bag or behind your laptop or behind your computer screen, so that you can't visually see it in your environment, it actually raises your productivity level. So I think little tips hmm. and tricks like that can really help us to get ahead of where the trends are going in terms of interruptions and to regain a little bit of our attention um, in, a, in a really meaningful way.
0: I think something that I'd, it probably is my biggest issue is that I'm not always aware of the fact that I'm buried in it, right? Like it's just it's something that I'm doing and I'm messing around and I'm to my detriment ignoring things that I could be otherwise doing. Is there a way to sort of visually see that, that, okay, you're spending entirely too much time on this stuff. Here's how you're spending your time. Do better. Is there an app that does that? Is there something, a setting that does that 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 can show us that we're we're wasting our time on this stuff?
1: (laughs) There is an app for that, of course. (laughs) Um, When I started this research, I was actually planning to create one myself, and I was delighted to see that there's actually several on the market already, of course. Um, One of them is called Moments that helps you look at the different moments in your day so that you can analyze and see trends of how you're spending your time. And another app that I really like is called Unplugged. And the Unplugged app helps you to raise your awareness about how often you're opening and closing your phone and which apps you're using for how long so that you can then begin to specifically cut back. You can block certain apps at certain times of the day. You can also, Mm. if you're a parent and you want to, monitor your children's usage this is a great way to track how they're using their time as well uh, to help them make some better choices because they're supposed to uh, they're supposed to be productive but that's not always something (laughs) that is a skill that we know so this is something that we might be able to help them with and help the next generation learn a little bit better than we learned (laughs) with this technology emerging in our lives
0: yeah it just kind of came up and then we all got addicted to it uh, very quickly uh, going sort of back to the, the access that people have to us now, uh, you know, at any given time, and my boss is very good about this, but it, it, he could reach me if he wanted to, he knows where to find me. He knows all of this. Is there benefits? Because I, I, I kind of feel would feel guilty if I said to my boss, look, I don't take work calls after six but is there, some kind of benefit to, I I don't know, shutting things down around that time of day or or for a set time to get away from it all?
1: Absolutely. You know, I had a conversation just recently with the National Safety Council about this, and the National Safety Council is obviously very interested in keeping people safe. Um, And so these work balance questions come into play specifically when you're looking at how Overuse of technology actually decreases your ability to create solid boundaries. So um, they found that if you have an interruption, say that's just 2.2 seconds, that's enough to double your error rates at work. That's essentially the length of time it takes you to read it, a text message. And if you have an uh, interruption that is 4.4 seconds or the length of time it takes to write a text message, that can actually triple your error rate. So depending on what industry you're in, those constant interruptions are actually making you a less productive individual. We also find that individuals who are able to shut down between work and home are actually more productive and have a higher sense of quality of life and meaning at work, which means that if you're able to be able to create that distance between home and work, which is sometimes difficult in our world where where home and work can be can be blended, right? Some people are working um, in co-working spaces or in coffee shops, or they might be in one location and another satellite location. So our globalized world has all these different scenarios where we work. But if you're able to actually parse out a little bit about some time for work and some time for home so that you can maintain that quality quality approach as well as the, the meaning for the moment you're there in whatever space it is, whether home or work, Those moments actually help make you a more productive, happier employee who's more engaged. So I think there's some great arguments to make. If your boss is one of those who is a constant communicator, uh, might be worth bringing up. I also find that that bosses who hear this have actually been longing for the same sort of boundaries for themselves. They Mm -hmm. want to create the space, but they feel like they have a job to get done, and so they have to help other people get their job done. And so – It just perpetuates the problem, right? Everybody is working harder and harder, even though everybody wants to create that distance. So I think appealing to that human side of your boss could be a really useful tactic there as well.
0: So we're looking forward to the future. Things are only going to get, I mean, technology is only going to continue to get better, right? I don't think at any point uh, 15 years ago I imagined an iPhone or anything like it. Uh, really being a part of my life in fact i probably didn't expect until we get to the era that star trek the next generation is set in that we would have anything like an iphone or a tablet so we obviously don't know what's coming down uh the pike right toward us but what are some ways that we can sort of train ourselves now uh to to be happier in a world where things are always evolving well i think
1: there's both good news and bad news here I think the good news is that we have been through perhaps one of the roughest periods of technology development um, in history, right? Mm -hmm. The first generation of a new technology is always the one where you're working out the bugs and trying to figure out the systems and you've got all kinds of um, learning skills from people from different backgrounds. And so there's a lot of pieces to figure out how to make something work better. Um, Last week, I was just at the Wisdom 2.0 conference in San Francisco, and it was this awesome conference where you have people who are from uh, the country, granola, California, meditation (laughs) world, and mixed with the Silicon Valley folks, and they're all in the same room together. It was fascinating. Um, But the conversation was so interesting to me because you really got a sense of this um, peacefulness about how technology is finding a new edge, a new way to coexist where there's a focus on well-being. There's more and more conversations happening within the corporate workspace that really bring in well-being as an idea and fusing the idea of technology and well-being, knowing that so many people are struggling with it right now. And so I think that that's the good part. I think the bad part that we see coming ahead of us is that there are – as we said earlier, both good and bad ways to use tech. And right now there's no sort of litmus test to determine whether or not tech is being used for the best purposes, the best and highest purposes. Um, There's a professor named DJ Fogg out at Stanford who works in a lab called the Persuasive Tech Lab. And the Persuasive Tech Lab looks specifically at how technology can be used to nudge decision-making And when the lab started, the focus was really on how the mind worked and how do you enable decision-making. And very quickly, the developers realized that persuasive technology was one of the most dangerous forms of technology emerging. It's the same technology behind your Amazon recommendations, that the system and the algorithms are learning how you shop, what you like, how much money you spend, where you go, how often you spend online. And as a result, they have some really powerful slash scary information about who you are and how to maximize your budget. And so even if you were trying your absolute best to stay on budget, those algorithms are now honed so finely to know exactly where your weak spots are. Um, And some of the decisions that we see coming forward specifically through artificial intelligence is that um, displays within store windows may be able to soon – Get an advanced knowledge that when you're walking towards the store, mm. they can see and know what is your favorite color, what is your favorite style, and actually change the window display to target you so that you literally can't resist. It's your favorite color and your favorite shoes, and you've just got to have it, right? Yeah. Um, so I think to know that that's coming down the pike and to specifically feel yourself with the knowledge of being aware that that's how marketers work. And then knowing who you are in response to it helps you to sort of proactively choose different choices than if you were just responding to information coming at you. Um, it's all about awareness. It's all about raising your consciousness in the next uh, in the next several years. I think that's going to be critical.
0: Yeah, and being very mindful. You mentioned knowing who you are, being very mindful of of those types of things. Right? Like, oh, okay, I see what they're doing there with their marketing uh-huh. schemes. <laughs> Uh, they, exactly. They know I'm a dude who has a sports logo on virtually all of his shirts. That's why that guy <laughs> in that ad is wearing one. I see.
1: Uh, all right. That's, and they're not out to be bad. I no. Think that, I think that it could be useful. It saves you time. You know, you don't have to surf through so many different outfits to find exactly what you like. But you do have to be aware. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I think another thing, and and maybe this is already happening, maybe that's part of the problem. But I remember sitting in a political science class in 2006 and our professor showed us this scary video of how eventually the Internet's the Internet's uh, are going to know what you're looking for. And they're going to start tailoring the news for you, like, oh, you want to hear about this. You don't want to hear about what th- this is going on over here. You only mm-hmm. want to hear about this. And I think that's kind of the issue we had with, with, uh, with Facebook, right? right? Is that something that we're solving? Is that something that we're getting closer to saying, no, nah, I think this is a bad idea?
1: You know, it's interesting. I've had a lot of people ask me about top-down regulatory policies around how that information is used. And I think that I fall on the end of encouraging people to take personal responsibility for their own information flow, Mm -hmm. their own knowledge, and what they want out of life. Which is why I encourage people to be conscious innovators in society, to really think about the future they want to create. Because when I think about the way that news could choose to show or eliminate information that they think I want to know, it's a little bit scary. Yeah. Um, when i when i heard that 2017 the word of the year is post truth which says that people are opting into information that only confirms their biases right mm-hmm. and if you want to be the type of person where the post truth is is exactly that then it's all too possible right now it that technology already exists but I think for some of us who really want a more enlightened approach, who really want to be able to see both sides of the story and then pick the information, I think that we have to be vigilant. We can't rely on other people to set up a system that's ultimately going to work for us. I have to tell the news media, this is what I'm looking for. This is what kind of information that I need to see, and this is how I'm going to follow up as a consumer to make sure that you hear my message, both through my mouth and through my dollars.
0: Excellent stuff. Well, one thing uh, we want to make sure everybody reads is The Future of Happiness, and uh, that'll be hitting uh, bookstores on uh, April 11th. And uh, I imagine people will be able to buy it online, and then, uh, you know, Amazon will start recommending books by, I don't know, Sean Acor or, or Michelle Galen or someone goofy <laughs> like that. Uh, they're probably going to be people also liked. Uh, that will be coming up as well. But it's a fantastic book. Lots of stuff to uh, think about. I mean, I do not we didn't even scratch the surface on everything that's in this book. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on to talk with us about it. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing more from you both uh, here on the podcast and in the magazine.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me.
0: If you would like a copy of Amy's book, you can go to livehappynow.com. If you've got anything you'd like to say about the podcast, please feel free to reach out. You can find us on Twitter at LiveHappy, Facebook.com slash LiveHappy, or send us an email, podcast at LiveHappy.com. For everyone at Live Happy Magazine, I'm J.R. Houston saying so long, and thank you for helping us to live happy.